we're, we're going to be starting a, a, a new series. Um, we've been doing a lot of different series lately, and everything that we preach and teach here at Karis New Testament Church revolves around the gospel. It revolves around what Jesus Christ has done. It revolves around back to our identity in him, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But sometimes you just got to go back and just hear the good news, right? Sometimes you need to hear the good news 100 proof with no chaser added. 100% gospel, right? You know, Martin Luther, um, he, he had a, uh, a quote that said, I need to hear the gospel every single day because I forget it every single day. And so we're going to be looking at the gospel in, in, in a way that uh, is a little different. We're, we're going to be looking at things that a lot of Christians believe, but it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. And if you've been at Karis New Testament Church for any amount of time, sooner or later, you're going to hear the word religion. And about 99.9% .9 of the time, it has a negative condensation. And that's because we were not created for religion, but we were created for grace. See, religion is something that you do for God. That's what religion is. Religion is something that we do for God. Grace is something that God does for you. And religion is the pinnacle of human pride. It is. The idea that God needs something from us. How prideful can we possibly be to believe that God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, needs something from us? Yet that has not stopped the religious hamster wheel from going round and round and round and round. See, God is not so egotistical that he needs our worship or he needs our praise, nor does he depend on our prayers or the study of his word. Why do we do that then? If, if that's not something God demands or needs from us, why do we do that? Because we need it. And when you understand the goodness of God, and when you understand who God is, when you understand what Jesus Christ has done through the cross, how can you not worship him? How can you not praise him? When you, when you hear the good news of the gospel, how can you not study his word to find out everything he has to say about who you are in him, to understand the future that he has for his church. It's a whole different way of looking at things. They tell us that there are about 10,000 religions in the world. And that is absolutely wrong. There are only two religions in the world. There are only two religions in the world. What I mean by religion in this sense is a spiritual belief system. There's only two spiritual belief systems in the world. The belief system of works and the belief system of grace. That's the only two belief systems that the world has. You either believe that you have to work, you have to attain, you have to climb the ladder, you have a bunch of do's to do in order to reach up to God. Or you believe that you are incapable of reaching up to God. You have no strength in yourself. And the only way that we ever come into the presence of God, the only way that we earn the favor of God is by not earning it at all, but receiving it by grace. Receiving it by grace. 
And Christianity, see, people like to lump Christianity into, well, it's just another religion. No, it's not. Not the Christianity that preaches the gospel. There are some people that call themselves Christians that are just like all the rest of the religions. But pure Christianity, 100% gospel, is different from every religion on the face of the planet because it's not based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus Christ has done. And we can get lost, though, as we walk through this life. We can get lost sometimes. We can stray and get into some wrong belief systems. Christianity is not the sacrifice we make. Christianity is not the sacrifice we make. How many of you have said, thought in your life, or heard people say that, well, I gave this up for the Lord? I'm sacrificing for God. When we say that, what we're, what we're literally saying is, this is the best life that I think is for me. But I'm going to give it up because God demands for less for me. Right? That's what a sacrifice is. You're giving up the best for less. Christianity is not about the sacrifices we make. Christianity is about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made. See, the very root definition of religion should cause us all to want to run, run from it. Religion, it's the English word most likely, the English word most likely comes from the Latin, religar, sure, a word that actually means to bind fast or to restrain, all definitions have to do with the concept of being bound up. Religion almost universally refers to a set of behavioral standards derived from a person's religious beliefs. How accurate is this definition? Have you ever met a religious person? They're all bound up. They're uptight. They're judgmental. They hold people to their standard instead of Christ's standard. You ever notice that? We judge people according to our standard when Christ is the actual measuring stick, and we all fall short of the glory of God. I find that even those that say that they are saved by grace in certain areas of their lives, they're bound up inside. And what the church needs, and what we're going to do in this series, is we're going to have a spiritual enema. We're going to be set free. We're going to be loose in the grace of God. <laughs> we're going we're we're to get free in, in the sea of grace. Grace upon grace. Amen. See, unfortunately, the religion of works-based relationship is so subtle, and it appeals to the flesh. See, that's why it's so dangerous, is because it's subtle, and, and, and the flesh says, this is, this is right. Do you know that you can be religious and be 100% in the flesh? They call that U.S. grade-A flesh. That, that's, that's, that's prime flesh, but it's still flesh, right? It, it's not choice or select. You know, I, I, don't, I don't do what the, the sinners do, but it's still flesh. And, and, and believers fall into the traps of work-based relationships. Without, without even knowing it. And we live in a, we're living in a time right now that, that we, the answer is the gospel. The answer is always the gospel. 
And we must never, not allow religion to charge us for something that God gives us freely. So prepare yourself because today we're going in, in today in the weeks to come we're going to start uh, slaughtering a lot of sacred cows and one might be your prize bull. So let the slaughtering begin by starting out with this re- religious lie of salvation is giving your life to Christ. Have you ever said that? Have you ever heard someone say that? Or have you told someone what they need to do? They just need to give it to God. They, give, they need to give their life to God. Or you said, you know, when I stopped running and finally gave my life to Christ. See, this, the lie is so subtle. The lie is so subtle that our unrenewed minds think that sounds noble. That, that sounds upright, that sounds virtuous, that sounds righteous, that sounds self-sacrificing. I'm giving it all. I'm giving it all to God. So what could be wrong? What could be wrong with this statement? What could be wrong with this belief? Well, first of all, where is the emph- emphasis put? It's put on us. What we do, what we have done. That's why it's so wrong. Because the act of salvation has nothing to do with you. You play no role in it. You are no more than just a recipient of it. We can claim no credit for our salvation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did it single-handedly, and they did not need our help. They did not need our help. They did not need us to, they, 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 they didn't need our strength. They didn't need our ability. They didn't need to do, us to do anything in securing our salvation in this life and also in the life to come. They accomplished it all. Why? Because you'd screw it up. You would screw it up. You would be the link weak link in the chain. You would be the weak weak link in the new covenant. That's why the new covenant is not made between us and God. It's made between humanity through Jesus Christ and God. And there is no link weak link in that. Because God will never break his covenant, and Jesus Christ will never break his covenant. So we are secure in this covenant. Because it has nothing to, we, nothing to do with us. That's good news. You should be happy about that. You should be happy that your eternal, your eternal destiny, your identity, The promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus have nothing to do with you. Christ became flesh. Christ died a sinner's death so that we might enter into this covenant with the Father by faith in Jesus giving his life not in us giving ours. Look at what Paul tells us in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you, who's he talking to? You, me, right? And you were, what's were? Past tense, dead in your offenses, offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, So what do we no longer walk according to? The course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is working in the sons of disobedience. So what are you no longer? You you are no longer a son of disobedience. 
Among them, we too, all previous, lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. And so what's he saying there? He's saying that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's saying there's no, we're not special. We're not special. We were just like all the rest. There was nothing special about you that made your life worthy of salvation. And so, so often in our pride and in our, our, in our religion, we can look down on others. And we forget, we forget the grace of God. We look down at others and say, how could they be that way? Or how could they think that way? Or how could they live that way? And we were just like them. We were just like them. He, he, he goes on to say, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. God loved you when you were unlovable, when you were children of wrath. Isn't it great to know that you're no longer a child of wrath? Right? So all the scriptures that talk about a wrath to come, guess what? It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. We are not children of wrath. We are children of his love. And, and then he goes on to say in verse 5, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what's it saying? It's saying that, that when we were wrongdoers, he made us alive when we were dead. We were dead, and he made us alive in Christ by grace. And not only did he do that, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only are we seated with him, we are seated in him. That is the mystery. That is your baptism. See, some people, some people get religious about baptism. That baptism is what saves you. That water baptism is what saves you. And I, and I, and I preached a message at our last baptism service says that baptism does not save you, but you need to be baptized to be saved. Does that make sense? Water baptism does not save you. But being submerged, baptized spiritually into Christ is salvation. Amen. We focus on the, uh, the, the action. We, we, focus, we focus on what we do instead of on what God has done in Christ. You're going to see how good it is here in just a second. And he raised us up with him, he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So what is God's heart's desire to do from the day that you are put, been, humanity has been put into Christ Jesus and to, through all eternity, what is his heart's desire? Is to make it you go through hell? Make you go, go through hell to, to, to become the perfect sacrifice? To become the perfect Christian? No, it, it says here that he might show boundless riches of his grace towards us in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's God's desire for you. This is good news. It's so good. They, they should call this the gospel. My goodness. Amen. Verse 8. And this is what I want to get to. I was originally only going to read verse 8, but then I re started reading everything around it. I'm thinking, we can't just read verse 8. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Do you know that the faith that you have to believe in him is from him also? It's not even your faith. You hear the word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That word God there, if you look it up in the New, New American Standard Version or other standards, um, other um, translations of the Bible, if you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, that word God there is, I believe, I believe it's pronounced Christos, which means Christ. So faith comes by hearing, and not just hearing about the word of God, but hearing about Christ. Hearing the Ten Commandments does not bring faith. If it's preached correctly, it should bring condemnation. Because that's what it is. It's a gospel of condemnation. It's a covenant of condemnation. It's co- it, 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 Paul literally says it's, 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 it's a covenant of death. Faith only comes when you hear Jesus preached. There is power in the gospel, in and of itself, to bring God's, Jesus' faith into your life. You hear the good news and you believe it. And that's called faith. There's, there's the power. There is the power of in the gospel itself to carry it throughout the ages. Think about it. Think about how we have the the gospel being preached today with everything that has ever been thrown at it. Bibles being burnt. Men and women being burned at the stake for even trying to translate it into the known language of the day. To get the word of God out. With everything that the enemy and religion has tried to do to stomp out the gospel of Jesus Christ, it just keeps marching on. It keeps marching on. So we can look at the days that we're living in right now and, and say, we don't have any hope. Christianity is going to be stomped out. There isn't the power in all of hell to stomp out the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to go and go and go and go whether you believe it or not, because it's not based on your belief. It's based on the faith of Jesus Christ. This is so good. Verse 9, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You know, if people just read their Bibles, preachers would be out of a job. I mean, my goodness. For we, we are his workmanship. Do you know every time that you say that you're no good? Every time that you say that, that I, I can't do this? Or God can't use me? You are criticizing the artist. You are criticizing the maker. Look at this. It says, we are his workmanship. And he has created Created in Christ. He has created us in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Salvation has nothing to do with us. You see that? It's 100% reliant on Jesus. The gospel is not an invitation for you to give your life to Jesus, but it's the glorious revelation that Jesus Christ gave his life for us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. People say that they got to live a crucified life. That, that, I need, that I need to carry my cross. You, 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 if you wanted to live a crucified life, you, you couldn't even crucify yourself because you can maybe get one hand nailed, but you're not going to be able to get the other one nailed. 
It ain't, you, you can't. It's impossible. We have, we have been, when has been? Past tense, crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, right now. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up, gave himself up for me. Did you catch that? Jesus gave himself up for us. He did not ask us to give ourselves up for him. Listen to how the Passion Bible interprets this passage of Scripture. It says, My old identity has been co-crucified with the Messiah and no longer lives. You know, a lot of people say, well, that's the old, old Chad. That's old Bill. That's old. Once in a while, the old man comes out. He can't come out. It says, my old identity has been co-crucified with the Messiah and no longer lives. For, for the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. What part did we play in that? When was Jesus Christ crucified? For us 2,000 years ago, right? That was before you were even a glimmer in your mama's eye. That was before you were on the scene. That's before you had any sin. That's before you could do anything good or bad. You were already crucified in Christ Jesus. That's how all-encompassing, that's how all-powerful our salvation is. Look at Jesus' illustration of this. In Matthew 13, verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid again. And for joy over it, goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. And we hear great preaching on how you need to sell out for Jesus. You need to sell everything you have. You need to just grab hold of the kingdom of God, no matter what it takes, no matter what you have to sacrifice. Hogwash. That's garbage. Who is the man in this story? It's God. Who, who does the field represent? The world. What is the treasure? You and I, humanity, people. How did God give everything to purchase that treasure? Through Jesus. How arrogant to think that we could ever purchase our salvation. And look at, he did it for the joy. For the joy. It wasn't something that, that, that Christ didn't want to do. It wasn't something that the Holy Spirit didn't want to cooperate with. It's not something that the Father, he wanted to squash you like a bug, but God said, Jesus says, no, send me, I'll take their place. No, there was joy in heaven. There was joy. Hebrews 12.2 says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Because Jesus knew that our religious minds could not grasp what he's saying. He tells it again this way. He says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. 
And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. Who is the merchant? It's God. Who is the pearl of great value? You, yes. Who gave up everything to purchase this valuable pearl? Jesus. God really gave all that he had when he gave Jesus for our sins and purchased us unto himself. Salvation is ours because Jesus gave us life. Salvation is ours not only because he gave us life, but he gave us his life. Salvation is ours because Jesus gave his life. Not because we gave ours. You might be thinking, what's the big deal? What's the big deal, Chad? Tomato, tomato. Right? The big deal is this, that salvation is our foundation, the foundation of our relationship with God. And, and if your foundation is skewed, your whole life will be skewed. Your whole relationship with God will be skewed. (laughs) Yes. See, the nature of religion is to focus on what we must do instead of what God has done. Not focusing on what grace has done. Not focusing on what Jesus has done, who is the grace of God in and of himself. Do you understand this? this, 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 A simple phrase like saying, I got saved when I gave my life to God. That belittles, that cheapens what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because we should have a constant, our mind should be so renewed to this that we hear something just as simple as that and we repel from it. I am not, I'm not taking any glory from that. That is Jesus' glory and his glory alone. That we, we don't want nothing, to, we don't want to take any credit for our salvation. Some people repel when they hear someone curse. I'd rather have you curse than repel and, and, and then not repel when you hear someone taking credit for their salvation. I'm sorry. That, that's good. Good job, Chad. Good preaching. Understand that if there's any promise of God, listen to this. Hear hear the word of the Lord here. If there is any promise of God that you are struggling to receive and you can't figure out what the problem is because you've done everything you know to do. Has anybody ever been there? That you see a promise in the word of God, but for some reason it's not manifesting in your life. And you've tried everything. You're doing everything you can do. You're actually asking God, what do you want me to do? Guess what? This is great news. If you're at this point, if you're at the point wondering, what, what is left for me to do? I've tried everything. I did everything. I don't know what the problem is. You just found out the, the problem. That's the problem. The problem is you trying to do it. See how subtle this is? You're not going to do it. Jesus has already done it. See, the problem, the problem is, is you're stuck in religious doo-doo. I got to do something. Yes, you do. 
You've got to labor to enter into his rest. You get a rest in the finished work of Christ. That's what faith looks like. Faith looks like a siesta. Faith looks like kicking your heels up. Faith looks like resting in the arms of a loving father that wants to, to, for the ages to come to reveal his goodness and mercy to us. Religious people think that they can control God with their actions, that they can make God react to them. When we say, Lord, I've done everything, what we're saying is, is because I did this, you have to do that. We do. We, we actually think that our actions control God. We think that when we do certain things, we obligate God to do something. See, God does not react to man to cause our salvation or anything else in that manner. God has already reacted in Christ Jesus. God supplied the answer before you ever had the problem. God's not waiting on us to do something for him to provide. He's waiting on us to believe what he's already provided. God has already reacted in Christ Jesus. Now what is your appropriate response to that good news? That's all it is. How did you get saved? You heard the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he was buried and he was resurrected and he's seated at the right hand of God, and, and, and that he has redeemed humanity. He has paid the price for humanity's sin, and that includes your sin, and that you, that you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And what did you do? You said, I believe. And when you believed, God didn't save you. You just awakened and walked in to that salvation that was already provided. Your we're going to get into that in just a second. Your belief didn't, did not save you. When you believe something is true, that mean, if it's true, that means it's, it's already a reality. We think that our believing saves us. We think giving our life saves us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone, who, who, is, who is anyone? Any, everyone, right? If, any, if, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new, or have, have come. New things have come. Reading in the New King, or King James Version instead. Now all these things are from God. All these new creation realities, all these things, the new that has come, they're not from you giving your life to Christ. They're not from you doing something. They come from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against him, them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What does reconciliation mean? That's, that's, a, that's an accountant term. 
you reconcile the account. You, you, you call, call it even. You zero out the balance. It's reconciled. Everything is paid that needs to be paid. And, it, and, it, and at the bottom of it, it, it all works out perfectly. It's been reconciled. Now, that's not an accountant definition. That's a lay, layman's definition. But that's what that means. And who reconciled us? God reconciled us. He reconciled us through Christ. Not only us, but the whole world, it says. And then he's given us the job to do. To go out and tell people they've been reconciled. We are in ambassadors of the reconciliation. That we have been, the whole world, the good news. Guess what? God's not holding anything against you. It's been blotted out. It's been reconciled. Is that not what it just said? It goes on to say, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as through God we're making an appeal through us. He appeal, an appeal. It's a begging. I, I plead with you. I plead with you. We beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What's that mean? When you hear the good news that God's not holding anything against you, that God has reconciled himself to you. Reconcile yourself back to God. Count yourself reconciled in Christ Jesus. Count yourself as worthy of relationship with God in Christ Jesus. Believe the good news. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You are saved. And this is going to make your religious minds just tweak and smoke's going to come out of your ears. Listen to this. You are saved whether you have embraced that salvation or not. Many people will go into eternity separated from a loving Heavenly Father even though God has already reconciled himself to them. Even though God is not holding anything against them because they refuse to reconcile themselves to God. They're, they hate God. They don't want nothing to do with God. And unfortunately, a lot of people are in that position because of religion. We do not make salvation a reality by our action. We do not make salvation a reality even by our faith. Our faith does not produce salvation our faith does not produce any of the promises of God. Faith is simply believing what God has already done. We didn't get the ball rolling regarding salvation. God did. The only reason that we can even respond to him is because he initiated the whole thing in the first place. In Romans, in Romans 8, 5, it says, God, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. See, I know, I know that you were told that you're a Christian because you made a decision for Christ. I made a decision for Christ. We like the idea of that. We like the idea that we did something. It sounds noble. But there could be nothing further from the truth. When you were a sinner, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Look, look at, let's look at some verses real quick and just see what part we played in the salvation, okay? John 3.16, everybody knows this one, right? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved, right? God gave before anyone believed. If salvation was not already provided, in Christ Jesus, you would have nothing to believe. Do you understand that? 1 John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
That's a $100 word there. It, it, propitiation just basically means the only payment possible. The only thing that could cover it. Our love for God did not bring our salvation. Nor was it the sacrifice of our lives. But because of God's love for us, Jesus came, the one and only payment for sin. And single-handedly secured our salvation. In, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you know that there is not one, there is not one person that will fail to make it to heaven because of their sins? There is only one sin, one thing that people miss the mark on, and that's what they do with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the propitiation not only for our sins, but what? The sins of the whole world. This is good. You giving your life, your life sacrificed unto God is not your spokesperson. We're, none of us are going to stand before God and point to our accomplishments and our sacrifices and what we did for God. Jesus is our only advocate. Jesus is our only spokesperson. You know, a lot of times in a court case, they tell the, uh, the, uh, the uh, client, keep your mouth shut, don't say nothing, let the, let the lawyer speak for you. But when you get to heaven, keep your mouth shut. Let Jesus speak for you. Right? When, when the accuser of the brethren comes and you're being cross-examinated, keep your mouth shut. Let Jesus speak for you. The, the, the gospel is not the news that we have given our lives to God, but the glorious realization that God has given his life for the whole world. Hear. Hear the good news and believe. Doesn't this just make it so happy? I mean, no wonder they call it good news. The, me the method of our salvation is not about us. It's about Jesus and what he has done because of his love for us. The gospel has nothing to do with mankind reaching up to God to give him anything. Think about, think about your life before Jesus. Why would he want it? I'm going to give my life to you. No, keep it. As a matter of fact, take that corpse and just toss it to the side. I'm going to give you a new life in Christ Jesus. Right? He go, The gospel has nothing to do with us reaching up to him. It has everything with the Godhead moved by love, compassion, and mercy, reaching down to us and providing a salvation that we could never accomplish on our own. There is nothing for us to do except believe and say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Right? I mean, when you hear this, this makes you want to worship. This makes you want to praise. It, it, it actually makes you want to get into your Bible and say, man, if, if, if this is just a, a glimpse of grace, what else does it have to say? God didn't come into our lives. or God, God didn't come into our lives, but we entered into his life. 
There's a big difference there. I always think back, there used to be a show called Extreme Home Makeover, which was, the whole title was a lie, because there was no makeover. They demolished, demolished, they demolished the entire home, and they built a brand new one. Guess what? There is no makeover for the Christian. There was nothing, there was nothing in Adam that was worthy of being redeemed. God had to make an entirely new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Believe the good news. God, God did not come into your old life. But he brought us in. We, we, we melted into his. See, that's what, that's, what, that's, what, that's what baptism is. Baptism is, 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 a, is, a, is a melting and becoming bonded to one. They used it when they baptized what, garments. They, they, they put a garment into dye. It's called Submerged in being baptized. And when they pulled the garment out, the dye was in the garment, and the garment was in the dye. You can't separate them ever, ever, ever. They're, they've been bonded as one. And we have been baptized into, into his life. And don't you, don't you think that this arrangement is better in every way possible? That it's not dependent on our life, it's dependent on his. Amen. Amen. That's good news. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.